Hello, spreaders. Welcome to The Spread. I'm your host, Kaz. We are now on episode 74, and this is season four. We're taking a break from the Spread Fest to highlight a really important conversation that I think a lot of you can incorporate into your homes. The conversations around sexual violence against men. Even though sexual violence is predominantly targeted at women, there are a lot of stories that go untold where the victims to these heinous crimes are men. And because of the patterns caused by the patriarchy, a lot of men would rather die with a secret, causing them a lot of shame which can then lead to a myriad of mental health issues. We're joined today by Onyango Otieno, a.k.a. Ricks the Poet, as he discusses his rape and what the culmination of his upbringing has taught him and how he is continuing to help men around Kenya. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to The Spread Podcast where you get your podcasts. Now let's get started. I've been a very curious boy ever since I was young. And my my father came from a polygamous home uh, where my paternal grandpa married three wives and had about 30 kids. Wow. And um, yeah, it's a humongous village. It's like a city inside some place. Oh my CIA. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so we were so many. I have cousins, some of whose names I don't. Mm-hmm. There are so many. And um, I mean, my, my dad was also really violent when I was young, towards myself, towards my mom. And my uncles are nearly almost just the same. Mm-hmm. Um, they all struggled with alcoholism, um, stemming from my grandfather as well. He was extremely violent as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when I was young, I used to ask myself, why is it that I witness my aunties crying a lot, but I never see my uncles crying? Mm. So, you know, and um, my, my, my dad being the person I saw mostly at home, um, his anger was just brutal. The way they fought a lot with my mother at home. Mm. Uh, so I, I was... I was just curious so much. I used to tell myself when I was young that when I grow up, I want to look for peace. And if I don't find peace, I will create it because I really believe there has to be some other life aside from what I I grew up seeing. Because Mm -hmm. when you're a child and there is so much violence around you, you actually start believing that's the only life that is out there. That's the norm, yeah. Yeah, but I think I just refused to believe that that's what life is supposed to be my small child intelligence just told me no there has to be something else uh so that, that I sounds mean, like big child intelligence you were a smart <laughs> little one. Oh man well well we could say that so when i got to 15 years old uh i went through my first the depressive phase um I, I was taken to a school in nyanza province by then and i already had problems feeling neglected in my own home. So taken away from home into a boarding school was even worse. I didn't like the school. There was even more violence in the school. You know, you know, um, 
this thing monos like uh, from ones being bullied and all yeah, that yeah effects of like gods it was just something else and so i felt this is like my home has followed me here mm. and it's too much so i just switched off completely you know i switched off completely i stopped going to class i stopped reading i stopped basing and i used to play football so i remember i used to like get from the football field to the dormitory and just wipe myself with my towels me and myself is a petroleum jelly and off to class um so mm. my, my i remember the longest streak of that was like nine days without showering it was insane mm. and so I, i i wouldn't even wash my own laundry so i'd steal uniform from people and steal money i was just reckless and mm. eventually i was expelled from the school and then by the time i was 16 now it was even worse because now i was suicidal the violence at home was still continuing and um i ran away from home a couple of times i became a street boy at some point um, wow. i used to shop lifts like from supermarkets in town those days they didn't have these fancy cameras you guys have these mm-hmm. days and uh one time i was caught actually um at uh, naiva supermarket this is 2004 naiva was still quite a small supermarket those days mm-hmm. along ronald ngala street uh in nairobi and um you know some kenyans administered some of justice on me but Whoa. i i survived that um that's why i'm still here so my, my my it was intense then when i was 20 years old um i was i was raped by our housekeeper our, our house help um when i was in form 5 heading to form 6 because I, i was studying in uganda by the time and even though even so i didn't even know that was like i'd been violated i didn't even know that because so many boys around me talked about that thing like it was something normal like you know their housekeepers having sex with them so it was yeah a that's very, a very common um narrative yeah in it was really Kenya. common so i was like quite a hey, me it did feel so good to me also because i i felt violated i felt mm-hmm. like it was done against my consent against my mm-hmm. will even though i didn't know things like consent those days i just felt this was really so wrong but yet i didn't i didn't even know um it was a violation until about 10 years later which is last mm-hmm. year it just occurred to me like why oh, something happened to me back there mm-hmm. which again explained uh my hypersexuality especially in my early 20s um because immediately after that happened i really became hypersexual and i was 20 years mm-hmm. old so the next 3 4 years of that phase of my life were also very intense i had a lot of reckless sex um indulge in a lot of risky behavior and i'm really just pretty lucky nothing bad really happened to me you know now as wow. a young boy growing up in that kind of environment um i mean the things the things we were watching movies tv music um MTV base was just coming during that time mm-hmm. um i remember and i mean the idea of masculinity and who men are supposed to be i mean the more you have sex the you know the cooler a guy you are oh, so of course yeah yeah so it didn't look like a problem again to me and yet i still felt okay this indulgence is is not healthy it is mm. because i was just having it just for this it wasn't even fun anymore it was like i was just trying to feed some kind of very 
hungry need within me that I didn't even understand anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, as this was happening, still violence at home was happening. So I had a lot of complex trauma, uh, which is, I mean, doctors call it complex uh, post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I, of course, I couldn't, I couldn't realize or recognize it at the time. So when I was around 26, 27, um, my parents had another fight at home. And this time, this is 25 years ago, actually. This time I took it upon myself to call them for a meeting, which was quite suicidal. You don't call your parents for a meeting in Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a meeting separately with mom and she separately with dad. Um, and my mom and I, we speak, we, we talk, uh, we listen to each other. Mm-hmm. Dad has been the one a bit complicated. So I remember sitting with dad and he told me one thing that's really changed my life, which actually informs a lot of <laughs> my work now. Mm-hmm. He told me, quote unquote, I don't come to you with my problems because you think I'm weak. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, my father telling me those words, I didn't even get mad. I just wondered, why, Connie, how much pain must this guy be in to mm. think that if he comes to me with his problems that I'll think he's weak. What makes him think that my 27 years of life in this house, I have never seen his weaknesses, you know? I mean, actually um, more than anything, his violence is more a sign of weakness. Exactly. Like I have seen all that. I've seen everything. I Mm. know him. So he wouldn't say he hasn't been a God to me the way he imagined himself uh, portraying in the house. So, that's made me want to just understand, okay, there has to be something else that I don't know and I want to look for it because he was at the epicenter of all my trauma at the time. Mm. Um, so it made me want to go look back and you know, now the story started coming out and my uncles were telling me how their father would have things at people, he, he would beat up his, their mothers because there were three of them. Um, like that guy would get into the village with a bakora, like a stick on his hand and everybody would just disappear because he'd beat anything in his way, whether he, a chicken, a, mm-hmm. a boy, a girl, his wife, anybody, you know. Um, so he, they grew up with a lot of anxiety and so much trauma again. And um, their father has also struggled with, with alcohol. And then going further, I, I, I got to realize he, he fought in the Second World War. Yeah, I was for the British. I was actually just about to ask you. That's exactly what I was thinking about and where first of all, I just want to say I'm so sorry for all of the things that you had to endure growing up that that is not easy. That is not it's easy. Not. A whole lifetime of pain and then now you're like doing the work and not only are you doing the work but you're also helping other people while you do your work, you know? I think that's admirable and I really want to hug the baby version of you (laughs) and and just tell them you're going to be great. Um, And I wanted to talk a little bit about like where this African violence stems from. Um, Mm. And I I was going to actually go a little bit into like um, 
the wars and even just mm. fighting for the independence of our country and how much mm. violence our forefathers endured during the time that we were colonized they were beaten mm. they were raped mm. they were mm. i mean they went through it all and um mm. and then all they had you know was this brew that they would make that is like every five minutes yeah. where possible that they could yes. spend with their people and drink and so it became solace alcohol became solace for for yeah. a lot of our african men and violence yeah. became the only thing that they knew yeah. and so it feels a lot like this is the first first second generation wave of young people who are actually very um, conscious about healing mm. what do you have to say about that I think I'm very excited also just existing in this time because so many of us are asking the hard questions because of the suffering we've been through and we are saying we want better, you know. Um, in my researches, even as, as I, you know, do my scripts for the podcast and the kind of conversations I have with African men around the, the continent, mm -hmm. um, I mean, slavery came here from around 7th century before colonialism, before everybody else. And we, that can just give you an imagination of how far deep we have gone into this. Mm. Um, men, mostly men were taken away from their homes. They were dehumanized in front of their families. They were taken away from their loved ones with a sense of belonging. And as you say, now, you know, getting that brew in the five minutes they had was, you know, became some kind of solace mm. because it was the only communal thing they could do, um, you know, to get their energy together. Um, and so even just the trauma that ensued as a result was just passed down. And it was not only was it mm. passed down, it was also very present, even the generations that followed, mm. you know, because soon after the slavery, uh, sl slavery was abolished. Now, you know, the Europeans now came here now systematically to say they want our land and they want to use us, you know, and that was a very, and then also I, I, I often say the onset of especially um, our introduction to Abrahamic religions just cemented that violence because of how the role of a man was now, you know, um, cemented down to who we were supposed to be, the kind of life you're supposed to live like and, and all that. It, it mm -hmm. was very complicated. I, I, I do not want to take away the fact that we also had patriarchal systems pre-colonial and pre-slavery in Africa. Um, and again, it's again very difficult to even get these real stories because again, our documentation has not been very good. It's so hard to get information about second century Africa. That's for true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can get that about Europe, you know, yeah. Germany, yeah. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But here, I mean, we were narrators and you know, those people were killed. Our museums, our books, mm. our libraries were mm. burnt down. Our yeah. homes, our, everything was burnt down. So it's, it's a very difficult balance. But now as time went by, um, the, the trauma just went to generation, to, from generation to generation. And I'm just glad that we are in a place where we are asking the tough questions. What happened to us and how can we begin to imagine a future that is without this violence? So that's why today 
um, you, you're having a lot of conversations around gender complexities, a lot of conversation around women's participation in politics. You're having conversation in Kenya around, you know, intersex persons. Yeah, we are, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm excited about that. I mean, 20 years ago, it was unimaginable that we'd be in such a space today. That's true. We are changing. Um, but then, you know, uh, change is also very... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the term to describe it is, because it feels like uh, it feels like we're getting more conservative as well. Definitely, more people are aware of things. So many things changed when, literally, when everything was burnt down. Everything was burnt down, including the way we thought before. So then we started to think different. We started to behave different. We started to think that things were wrong when they weren't before because, you know, that's how it was used as a form of punishment and so on. But I mean, that's a whole that feels like a whole topic on history and decolonization, which I think is I would could talk about this all day. But I really want to um, stay on track of speaking about men and, and mental health. And my question is, how would you say the unlearning process has been for you? And how do you begin to have those kind of conversations with other men to involve them in, in those circles? Because it's been extremely difficult, extremely difficult. First of all, um, you know, when boys were younger in those days, they had groups uh, like age groups and age sets. You were, you were taught things um, healthy things around, you know, what masculinity looked like being a man and all that. Um, and again, the disruptions of our social structures got that away from us. So a lot of boys, you don't grow up with anything. It's just your father and your uncles and the men you see on TV and the men mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. And all of them, most of them were very, you know, they portrayed themselves as dominant people they wanted mm. you to be like them. So you you grew up wanting to be like them because they carried the masculine energy you have. Um, mm. And so that was it for me as well. It was extreme. I used to go to my uncles to complain to them about the beating at home and they'd tell me, you know, it also happens to us. You have to get used to it. So that's why I'd run away from home. I just couldn't believe I can do nothing just because I'm helpless. I have to mm. do something. So for me, running away was a protest. And I was like, I can take control of my life. Let me, let me get hungry in the streets, but I'm controlling my life. That was the essence. So it's mm -hmm. been a very hard road. Um, confronting patriarchy in its wake as a man from the inside has been something else. Uh, you're called all sorts of names. My, my, dad, my dad will tell me things like, you know, you don't know who women are. Would you know? You know, and he'd, he'd ask me, has, has your mother ever paid school fees for you? You know, and things like that. Mm. And I'm like, dude, I spent nine months in this woman's womb. It, mm. Doesn't that even count for something? Just dignity? Doesn't it count for something? And my mother actually has gone through a lot of loss in her life. She's, she's had a couple of miscarriages. She's lost, she's lost children. That's mm. too much trauma on its own. I can't even mm -hmm. start going into it. So you coming, you're telling me, uh, you know, you're teaching me, I'm, you want me to hate this person just because you haven't healed from your own traumas. It didn't make sense to me. Um, and I mean, I, I felt, especially even at the beginning of COVID this time, 
Um, again, we had rising cases of sexual abuse and uh, intimate partner violence mm -hmm. during COVID. And it was just about the time I was beginning my podcast. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. Ministry of Health actually uh, reported that between mid-March and June this year, um, we had 5,000 rape cases. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and 70% of the number were girls who were 18 years and down, mm. going down. Mm. Now, 5% of that number were men, yeah? 95% mm -hmm. um, of perpetrators <laughs> were men. Mm -hmm. And I just got tired of the narrative that all the time we tell girls how to be safe. We tell girls what to do and not what to do just so that they, something bad wouldn't happen to them, yeah? But nobody's talking to boys. Nobody's mm -hmm. talking about boys. Nobody's teaching boys anything. Mm. I mean, if, if I'm even as young, even as old as I am, if I was to get online and start looking for any space about African or Kenyan masculinity that I would learn from, there's nowhere. I, I don't know mm. where to go. I see women organizing every single day on Twitter about things they want to do together as feminists mm. and they're teaching, they're going to workshops, they're developing programs. There's nothing for boys, nothing. Even the most emancipated ones, like Akuna, you know, I was yeah. like, I, I, I want to change that, you know, I want to change that. And even me struggling and coming out with my uh, stories about depression, PTSD and anxiety, from the mental health perspective, I started seeing the gender lenses um, surrounding the same. And I was like, you know, we, for us to change or improve this world, we, we have we have to do something about how patriarchy affects this world and men have to be on the forefront uh, uh, to show that care they have to they have to participate they have to collaborate with feminism we have to we just have to look for a way to collaborate we can't keep talking about uh, development in our brains uh, without thinking about changing the systems that have been oppressive to people for the for, for so many years and mm. being patriarchy the way it is and how our governments are set up half the population of this world is left behind systematically so which, mm -hmm. which movement are we talking about we can't move forward you know we have to participate so it just took a lot of courage um and i said you know what i i want to die having contributed something meaningful to this earth and that's why i'm here i love it I love it. I love it. It's so powerful. I've, I've been meaning to do a podcast on toxic African parents. And I want to hear what your opinion is as one of the causes, one of the biggest causes of toxic masculinity and mental health with men. And, and the cause of it being toxic African parenting. And as much as you want, like, for example, as much as you want to ask yourself, why did my father not or why would he think that I would think he was weak? At the end of the day, he's battling his own thing, which is a reason why he can't share that with you. So, yeah, what, I mean, would you say that toxic African parenting is, I think, the biggest cause? Um, I, I don't want to call it the biggest cause because there is a bigger cause to that. Mm. Um, because we we really had healthy communities in this continent before. Mm, you know? That's true. And before we were predisposed to what happened to us, I mean, we had really healthy 
homes we had. I mean, Africans had intertribal wars and stuff like that, but they weren't something so big that would like finish, like, you know, we'd hate those people because of that and this. Most of it was just uh, economical because of land and small issues. Mm. But as, as time went by, you know, um, a lot of disintegration happened over the years. I mean, if you go back to 7th century, we are, that is 13, those are one, uh, 13, like 1,300 years, is it? Mm. Yeah. Um, um, back, and you're like, um, we got independence like what, 56, seven years ago? Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. So we are still deep in it. And um, we, we, it's like we were brainwashed out of our, our identity. And the violence that came here just confused so many things. So our four parents, if I would say, just um, didn't know of any other way to exist. Um, you know, now over-reliance on alcohol and other unhealthy ways of looking at things just, you know, um, started informing how they parented. And our own parents now picked that up, uh, including the childhood neglect they already had. Yes. Uh, that that topped by our understanding of oh you see a man is supposed to provide a man is supposed to always be strong a man is supposed to be the head of the home the priest of the house now even cemented that pain was you know mm -hmm. um and now a lot of women were now especially in the beginning um because women didn't work they didn't go to you know they didn't have these opportunities mm -hmm. they would stick to a man even if things were bad at home Mm -hmm. you know because where do you go your people want to get you back because culturally you know you are sold to that family so you you, you don't have a home here no longer mm -hmm. yeah um and the fact that uh discrimination against women exists at that times so i believe if we had more open or more uh, gender fluid communities which existed way way before at the time uh, of you know 50s 40s going back if if we had gender fluid um, societies i think more women would have left their abusive marriages i think more women would have you know decided to you know look for other relationships that were safer for them but because things were tight in all corners they they stayed and these men now felt okay you have nowhere else to go i can abuse you as much as i want and the children were witnessing this and the children also just picked that up you know and at the same yeah. time it's these men who are running government they're running resources mm -hmm. you know they're saying this is this money will go to the health sector this money will go to the sports this money will go to mm -hmm. the state all these things it's still these guys who are coming home and beating up their fire their wives you know? mm -hmm. and it's still happening to date even to date like guys who are in government are still very abusive in their homes so i wouldn't just say toxic must uh parenting is where it ends it, it definitely has a deeper impetence um and it's now it is us to say this is what we have to confront you know um I, I went through therapy in august and um my therapist was telling me something that i had to accept and those were two things one was to mourn the childhood i never had mm. and two was to mourn that I didn't have the father I hoped to have or the father I deserved and to mm -hmm. accept that we may never get close, you know, because as a child, as a guy, me being the firstborn son, you're always hoping, you know, I really wish I would be close to my father. I mean, you know, these things, because I'm 32 years old now, you know, 
typically maybe I'd be thinking one, you know, I, I want to start investing, maybe marriage, who do I talk to about these things? It should be my dad, you know, and then mm. he's not here. So um, mm. I feel like I'm on my own out here in the world. The world has all these burdens, expectations. It has heaped on me. Where do I go? I am. Women today, and I love to see it anyway, they are more emancipated and they mm-hmm, want better true. from men. They want them, they want better from they us. They want better now, for themselves, yeah. And for themselves as well. So if I don't push myself to work on myself, it gets even harder. And that's why you're also pointing to that more conservatism because women are pushing. Women are really, really pushing and the guys mm. don't know where to go because they mm. don't know what to do. And yeah. they don't want to start, which is why what you're doing is so that. important. There's just because yeah. there's al- there's always people complaining. Why why is there always da da da? Even mm. actually, people there will always be somebody to complain. Why why are you always doing this thing? Is it you know a guy's yeah. not in- involved? Why is I'm just like yeah. I have the when I host the spread live, the yeah. men deliberately decide not to come. I've had yeah. people come for the spread live and say that. Um, that their boyfriend vehemently told them that they can't come for the, for this gig and she had oh. to sneak out. And I'm just no like, m- yeah, men are so insecure, but I mean, understandably so not, not to yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, put, yeah. Yes. put anybody down. So I yeah. completely understand it. I completely under- understand feet, you know, if um, your masculinity is the only thing that you think will give you power yeah. and it's because that's how we're raised, but then yeah. also learning and, I just find that people, I find a lot of men have their ears closed with their hands and they just don't want to hear anything. Ah, ah, ah. Let me just go to work. I make my money. I do my sharas. I meet the boys at the bar. We Mm. sexually assault women and then we go home to our wives. (laughs) That's just like. It becomes a circle. Yeah. And then you pass it on to your children. I mean, this is generational trauma. How do you, how do you find, um, people reaching out to you for help? Is it often, um, is it uh, some of the ways in which people reach out to you? Is it surprising? Uh, This happens every day, Kaz. Every single day of my life, somebody's reaching Mm. out. Every single day, even even as soon as today, somebody reached out in the morning uh, before we spoke. Um, There was very, one, one, one of the most shocking things I heard Mm. On my DM, somebody uh, told me that they were sodomized by their friend. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, sodomized and robbed by somebody, people, people, people he knew. Mm. And he got so mad, he hired folks to go kill them. Whoa. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> shit is this, man. He hired folks to go kill those guys. And he was like, you know, they'll never do that to somebody else. And yeah. he was telling me he hoped he had a space to just share that. And he was like, he was telling me I'm the only person he has ever seen anywhere mm. who is talking about this stuff. And that guy, it was on Twitter. He mm. only had like, what, 200 followers? You'd just pass him for some random person. Yeah. You wouldn't even think at Yahoo say, you know. Mm. So, I mean, this, it, and people reach, some tell me they are married and they are struggling in their, with, uh, with intimacy in their partnerships because they were, they were raped when they were young at six, mm-hmm. seven, eight years old. They don't know what to do. And some, some are even pastors, man. And they, 
you know, show up before congregations and hey, me, I hear crazy things. I just hear crazy things. And I think it gives me more passion to do this more and more. One of the difficult things I have found is understandably because women are more oppressed and um, especially systematically, we have more funding and, and donors, um, you know, funding women's programs and feminist groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have, you don't have, because we don't even <laughs> have male programs uh, that are very pronounced globally, um, there is very little funding that goes to, to that side of, mm. of, of life, you know. So now fundraising has been a little intense um, for the kind of, because I want to create physical wellness centers for boys Ooh, and men. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I really want to do it, man. And I've been dreaming about this thing since 2015. And I think this year, everything just locked. I was like, mm. yo, we have to start doing this. Mm. Um, and I mean, it has been developing slowly. Like right now, during this COVID time, we have a couple of people who are running safe houses. Most of them, again, are, you know, for for girls and women. We don't have safe houses for boys where just boys can go. Mm. When they're abused, when they're Mm -hmm. adolescent boys, when they're adult males, we don't have safe houses. Mm. Um, So I want to create, um, I want to create uh, long lasting sustainable programs for boys and men to be curious about their healing, to be curious about their identity, to be curious about their masculinity, to heal from the inside, the seed of their existence, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course, it has to force them to confront a lot of things, including how religion has been sold to us, you know, including how politics has been sold to us, including how relationships have been sold to us, our relationship Mm -hmm. with money as well it's just mm-hmm. so much going on mm-hmm. so uh, those are kind of some of the things i i want to address in the programs i want to create um but at the moment i'm running a safe space for boys and men who've been raped and um you know we have a couple of guys there who is their first ever time to even share what's going on or what mm-hmm. happens to them and um i just help them with a couple of tools and also refer them to partner mental health uh, organizations i work with just for what, what platform support. is that is that like a, a whatsapp group yeah or? it's a whatsapp group for the moment yeah it's, okay. it's a whatsapp group at the moment and uh you know they are very respectful guys and it's it's amazing actually guys how Every time I see boys and, and men getting in touch with their emotional side, so much beauty comes out. Mm-hmm. So much beauty. And the beauty of masculine energy is just something else. Because you like see that. how, yeah, they just show up. They say, this actually happened to me. And we discuss things. We discuss, oh, you know, there's a story that happened somewhere. What, you know, what do you think about it? How do you think about, you know? Um, you know, uh, the way the president is doing that and doing that, what are, what are the gender lenses around that? What are the gender lenses mm-hmm. around yeah, two-thirds gender rule, for example? You know, just mm-hmm. everyday things. And I I think there are just five guys in that space that, that, that came, and I'm like, these guys are my world right now, you know? And um, um, some of them are as young as 23 years old, so wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I like that you said that. Um, That's really beautiful. Everywhere I go, people, they hear thunder.
This week's podcast of the week is Chai with Valerie Kimani. Valerie Kimani, singer, songwriter, formerly Cirque du Soleil performer, is back in the scene, this time around with a podcast. The podcast is about Valerie's personal journey to self-understanding through healing. And I believe if that's a road that you're on, that's a podcast you might enjoy listening to. There's a direct link in the description box below. Valerie, of course, we support you and your endeavors and wish you all the luck on this beautiful podcast journey. Now back to our podcast. I have a two-part question for you, which is, what are some of the measures that you take for self-healing? But also, how are you able to deal with so many other people's problems um, without it triggering your own? So in the beginning, because I didn't even have the training, um, uh, the, the idea of being an empath, uh, somebody who wants to listen to others while you're still dealing with your own things, it was really difficult because I think I was among the few people in my circles who started talking about pain as a guy. Because uh, I would write about uh, gender-based violence, I would write about sexual violence lightly by then. Um, but so many people would still get back to me, but mostly they were women. Because guys, mm -hmm. actually guys just started reaching out the other day. Uh, women are more expressive. They say this happens to me or this is happening to my husband. It's happening to my brother. You know, they would want to mm -hmm. even just intercede for their loved ones. Um, and it was difficult because it drained me so much uh, back in the years, 2015, 2016. Um, but so now, because I was more interested in this work, I got some training around how trauma works and um, um, went through some therapy as well and uh, got trained to be a facilitator as well so those tools helped me understand how uh, i can develop more sustainable ways of helping people so that's why i opened the support group you mm. know uh, the 200 member support group so i just got got up and i i put up uh, a, a tweet and a facebook post and an instagram post and 200 people got back to me saying i want to be part of that community the mm. reason i began it was i wanted them to just hold each other as a community not something that ricks is running you know mm -hmm. so if they work with their own rules they set everything they want to do um they hold each other together so it it removes the burden from me that they have to reach out to me they i just refer them join this group join this group join this group people will hold you there together so i believe in the power of storytelling to face mental health stigma because i believe it is the more we put faces into these stories that stigma will start going down um, mm. And that takes a lot of courage. So if you find it in a community, then it just expands the, the you know the space, and people get more more support. Um, so that's one, on one side. On the other side, I have a very close close uh, circle uh, for my friendships, and um, they also happen to be boys. We've known each other for the last 10, 11 years now, mm. um, and these guys just hold me together. And I remember even when I was going through my own depression. They would come to my house, they would wash my house, they would do my dishes, they would cook for me, they would open my curtains, they would make sure I have bathed and, and all that. Mm. Um, so, I mean, they, those are my people. Like, I needed that circle and, you know, 
to that space healthily for so many years. We mm. really, really understand each other. They really support my work. Mm. Um, and so apart from that, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of dancing in my house. Um, nice. I'm, I'm both, yeah, I'm very much into it. Actually, there's a story when I was young. Um, one of the things that me and my dad bonded with was music. So he had a little Sanyo radio and mm. he, he would put me on a table and tell me to dance. And those days we used to listen to this uh, African music called Sukus music. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can remember, mm-hmm. Kinana, you know, oh, of course. Oh my gosh, Alus Mabela just, he passed <laughs> yeah, away this year. COVID also took him away. Yeah. Wow. I was so sad. Yeah, so I mean, that music has always been, I actually grew up dancing on tables after when I was around 13, mm, I love it. I, no, Lingala was my thing. We used now my when my brother was born, I incorporated him into it. So we used to dance on tables like crazy mm-hmm. until we grew up with him sometime and now Oh it, my god. <laughs> <laughs> it was the end. Mm-hmm. But to date I still play a lot of Lingala music because it gets me back to that space like everything was okay, things were mm. fine. Um and music has really helped me over the years to heal from a lot of things. Oh, and now I also write. Um, and just having conversations with people, conversations like this. So I talk mm-hmm. to people nearly every day like this. And I think that's what just makes my life worthwhile. Mm. Can I ask you, what has dating been like for you? Interesting. So um, in my early 20s, I was I was a douchebag, man. I won't even to. Mm-hmm. I was such a douchebag because, uh, I mean, on top of the traumas I had, I just... I, I didn't have a good relationship with myself. So sometimes I would leave relationships very haphazardly and hurt people mm. um, and hope from one relationship to another, thinking those people had a, the problem and yet <laughs> I was the one who needed help. Mm. Um, so I was also seeking, I think I was also seeking to control people. Mm. that you know that that makes um complete sense a lot of people who've experienced trauma usually try to they one of their coping mechanisms is controlling because every all all of the things happened to you and so you become more controlling of the things that you want to happen it's 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 a coping mechanism completely yeah and yet within me i knew it wasn't the kind of space i needed to be in i i think I, I, I may not have sounded like I really want to control somebody directly, but definitely there are signs, you know? Um, yeah. But I felt like every time somebody didn't do what I wanted, I left, you know? I didn't want to talk. I made decisions without consulting. It was mm. just crazy. Um, I think I started settling a little bit when I was in my mid-20s, thereabout. Um, of course, got a couple of heartbreaks here and there. Um, but I was still very incognizant of the, you know, how deep my traumas had gone. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, I had a fantastic life. It was, I mean, full of so much chaos, but it was also very fantastic in my 20s because I, I, I found myself. I learned so many things about who I am. Um, and I think growing from that, looking back, I'm, I'm like, there's so many mistakes I made. Um, and... 
I'm just thankful that today I can look back and say, hey, this was this was violent, like emotionally. I've never been physically violent to anybody, but I know I've been emotionally violent to people, especially when I was like 23 to 26 there about. Um, and I mean, some people have been emotionally violent to me as well. But yeah. I would say all those were just lessons that I've taken. Today, I know better who who I would want to be with, who who I am. I would know so you're single? From you. I'm asking for, for the people I'm, listening. I'm, They're like, yes. <laughs> I'm probably getting into dating right now. Somebody nice. Good for yeah. you. I'm so excited. Yeah, that is exciting. I, I've been yeah. feeling like I'm I'm ready to date as well. That's how, that's where yeah. I am in my life. So yeah, I'm right there with yeah, you. It's like an open space of possibilities. So yes. you really feel, yeah, anything could happen, and it feels yeah. really really good. Yeah. Of the people that you hurt when you were growing up, did you ever call them back to apologize? Is that a form of healing for you? Um, again, these things are very complex. So I'll give one story. Okay. Um, when I was in Uganda, I, I did from five and six in Uganda, and I there was this girl I was dating. Um, this is February. Uh, this is two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, and um, her name. Okay, maybe let me not say her name, yes. but I'll take Jane. <laughs> Let's call her Jane. Okay, <laughs> and it's not her real name. So Jane and I were dating, and then towards the uh, the towards near um, Valentine's Day in two thousand and nine. I started talking to a girl I, I will call Laura. So okay. Laura, <laughs> Laura was um, quite a poetic. Um, I think she just stimulated my mind and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but now Laura happened to be really light-skinned, which was not even a thing I, was, I looked into. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so she used to write poems and she would write me little notes here and there, which was really exciting. But mm-hmm. Jane, Jane was such a cool person, though, um, but she wasn't so much into writing, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, me, I just woke up one day and I, I told Jane, you know what, um, this is done. This is it. We are done. And, you know, we're in the same space in the school. We were like 12, 1200 kids um, in that environment. Um, so then I just started dating Laura and, you know, everybody is seeing and they sleep in the same hostels and it was a little crazy for some time there. But mm-hmm. now Jane thought that I left her because Laura is more light skin. So mm-hmm. she went and bleached her skin. Oh yeah. dear God. She went and bleached her skin. That was really something, you know, and it shook me as well. And you know, now these are very physical things because everybody in the school can see. Mm. And I was a bit of a public figure in school as well because of my poetry and um, I was in the football team and I was a journalist, like in the journalism club. So you are quite known in school. Yeah. Every little thing you do, everybody knows, man. So mm-hmm. it was, hey, it was quite intense. And I mean, later we, we, we got to sit down and we talked about it. And I really, really apologized for, you know, all those things I did. And uh, yeah, we became cool friends after that. So it's, mm-hmm. I've not always had the opportunity to get to those people. Um, yeah. Some people never want to hear from you ever again. Yes, I understand that. You know? I just, I wonder if that's a, if that, the one opportunity that you did have, this one with Jane, if it, if it was also helpful for you. 
Well, it was for that moment. Um, but I think I still had a long way to go to work on myself even at the time. Yeah, that makes that sense. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm still glad that you did that. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that, that might be perceived as politically, well, controversial, controversial. Okay, so a lot of, you're dealing with a lot of boys who've been sexually assaulted. A lot of um, the people, the men who assault and rape women um, come from a history of violence because it's a violent act and, uh, you know, hurt people hurt people. Um, do you ever have conversations with men about their, sec like their sexual anger and violence? Is that a conversation that comes up? How, how to treat other people? Yeah. Yeah, it's part of the, in, in the safe space we are managing, it's, it's part of the conversations. I, even around the male mental health advocates around me who we meet often, mm. those are conversations we have. We talk about the narrative of male dominance um, in sex and how that was introduced to us as boys and how we were very confused around our understanding of pleasure, you know, because, I mean... Be out of the understanding that you have to be dominant, then domination comes with violence. I mean, dominance comes with violence. Um, and the fact that we were almost socialized to feel we had entitlement mm. on women's bodies um, really sc screwed how we thought sex should be done. Mm. And so the worst of us actually raped women. The mm. worst of us raped women. and. The rest of us who, I mean, still had a skewed understanding of that, when we were with our sex, sexual partners, we still wanted to show them that, you know, we've got this, we are mighty, we want to pound you as, rough as, as, rough, as roughly as possible. Mm -hmm. This is how to give you pleasure. A lot of that, in 2015, something happened to me. Um, I had a one-night stand with somebody. I had you talk to Nini about this in an episode sometime back Mm -hmm. um, one night stand. Yeah, it was really interesting. <laughs> um, and this woman changed my life, guys, mm -hmm. because um, it was really interesting how we got to know each other. We were part of a Facebook group, which were like just poets, you know, posting their poems. Like I used to write a lot of erotica when I was a little younger. Mm -hmm. um, I still do, but not today. I'm so much an activist, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she reached out and she was like she wonders how it would be like to experience me physically i was like hmm, where are you on saturday mm -hmm. you know and this is like on a tuesday <laughs> this was like I on love a tuesday where this story is going <laughs> and she, she and she was older than me by i think she was 30 years old and i was 25 and mm -hmm. so much. I think one of the things that really attracted uh, girls to me was I used to text in full. And a lot of my my peers were such mm. poor texters, you know? Abbreviating words. Yeah, mm. things and yeah. lack of G, commas and all that mm. punctuation and everything. Grammar. So, I mean, because mm -hmm. I was pretty much a writer, I loved expressing myself. And it earned me some points. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, this girl told me uh, she was available on Saturday and um, 
she 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 just had a, a friend's birthday party to go to and then she was available that mm-hmm. evening so that time i used to run i don't know if you know about fatima's voice but i used to run the mm-hmm. organization like yes. events and mm-hmm. uh we had a fatima's voice session that saturday uh from like five to eight mm-hmm. and what i liked about this chick she told me mm-hmm. that she'd like me to organize for a place uh like 45 minutes from town Mm-hmm. So that is anywhere near Thika, Kitengela, Rongai, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. perimeter, is it? Is that a perimeter? Yeah. Radius. Yeah. Radius, thank you, gosh. Bus, I got it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was like, hey, this sounds nice, you know, mm-hmm. so that day, Maze, I called a friend of uh, my cousin's girlfriend worked in Athi River. My home, I was still, I was still living with my parents in Athi as well. So mm-hmm. Athi was the nearest 45 minutes away from town, I could guess. And um, my cousin's girlfriend worked at a hotel there. And yeah, I just picked up the phones like, Nancy Niaje, um, do you guys have rooms? Yes. Do you have food? Yes. Book me mm-hmm. this and uh, cook me this and that. <laughs> uh, I'm coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that day after the session and this girl was like don't call me just text me all the directions i'm gonna mm-hmm. get there i loved mm-hmm. it she, mm-hmm. even like the description of her body she told me how she looked like all of it was in text she didn't want me wow. we never spoke on phone until we met <gasps> oh my gosh <laughs> we were working in the imagination i loved uh-huh. it so much it so and then cool. so uh, that day after the event, um, I really just wanted to disappear from people because people really like want to talk to you after that. Oh, can I get your number? I want to perform next time. Nini, nini, nini. I disappeared. Mm-hmm. Got to town, whizzed to Athi, got to the hotel room, ensured everything was there. And then I texted her the directions and she was still in the mood at that time. And then this is like uh, 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. I went home, I showered and waited. Mm-hmm. 11 30 p.m she texts me she's like come here i'm in the room hmm. mm-hmm. so i take a border mm-hmm. i rush to the hotel which is like 15 minutes from my place mm. i'm nervous i've never met this person i don't know if they're gonna kill me i don't know what's mm-hmm. gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> that's when you start to think reasonably right at the I'm end like, like oh, fuck what am i doing <laughs> oh my god you know hey so I get there and I find her eating and she was, she was beautiful. She was really, really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, you know, her body just spread on the bed and just, you know, she was eating and watching some, something random on the TV. And mm-hmm. yeah, we start chatting and chatting. But um, now because of my understanding of how sex should be done mm-hmm. as a boy, as a mm-hmm. guy, I was there rushing, you know, trying mm. to get over things so fast. I want to start mm. penetrating. I want mm. to do what? And she literally told me, yo, dude, I'm here for the whole night. Slow mm. down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she's the first woman who, who taught me that actually like <laughs> a vagina has a clitoris. Mm-hmm. And a clitoris is a, is a pleasure point. I mm-hmm. had no idea such a wow. thing existed. No idea. And she pointed to me like with my finger. She told me this is where my clit is. Mm-hmm. This is where I like to be touched. And and 
just give me a map of her body and her pleasure points. Like this is this is where I like to be touched. This is mm-hmm. what this is. What? And and we talked the whole night, and I that was like one of the best sex I've ever had in my life. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And um, I, my life changed. My sex life changed from that oh, time. That's I, I started looking at pleasure from a very different place. No, I was like, what? What have I been doing all this time? Yeah, mm. thinking that I'm doing the right thing. And most people, most people are like that because they're getting their education from pornography, and that's how exactly. they see women being treated in porn for entertainment. Yeah, exactly, man. And yeah, the situation on the ground is different. Me no? different. I, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, man, I want to learn. I think it opened me up. I was like, I really want to learn even about mm-hmm. my own body. Because one of the yeah. things I also speak in my podcast is one of the things that also um, proliferates violence, uh, men, men uh, violence against women for men mm-hmm. is the fact that men over-rely on women for pleasure. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We over-rely, as heterosexual men especially, mm-hmm. we yeah. over-rely on women for emotional labor, on women on emotional labor and pleasure. So all that pressure from life and we want to boil it down to this one moment where with this woman you know mm. we don't even think about their pleasure we don't even mm. think about our own pleasure we don't think even how how to pleasure ourselves looks looks like because again masturbation was considered a sin from how it was introduced to us you know many you ask a guy where where he likes to be touched most guys don't they have no idea you know it's mm. very little information they don't have much they know about their own bodies so you can't know how to pleasure somebody else if you don't know how to pleasure yourself it's impossible amen, you know. amen. Preach. i'm sending all <laughs> the men's to you that. all the men's yeah man so i around sexual even when we talk about sexual and reproductive health most times it's taken as a women's issue, but we are right in it. We have to understand our Literally. bodies the same way we have to understand our minds. Mm. Um, that's the best way we could be safe sexual partners. Um, and this is the way to move forward. That's true. Oh my gosh. So uh, we're actually running out of time, but that has been such a beautiful hour discussing with you. I've loved every moment of it. I love how open you are to sharing your own stories. Um, and just sort of to end, please, will you give us a poem? You want a poem? Yes. When I was young, daddy would leave for work in the morning and come home with me. He'd take me for walks, holding my hand, and I'd sit on his lap as he read the newspaper. When he was happy, he'd buy us one liter soda, Britannia biscuits, putting me on our putting me on our living room table, tell me to dance for him. On Sunday, we were the holy family singing in church. He was God to me, always composed, a man of few words, sometimes coming home staggering, carried by his friends. And I thought, maybe. This is what fathers do. This is what it is to be a man. Stay composed, speak few words, stagger home once in a while, carried by your friends. But as I grew, he became angrier and distant. No more walks, no more music, 
Don't dance in the house. It's time to read. Why did you fail this subject? You're foolish, like your mother. The pain of separation from daddy's love felt like death. How could God deny me? How could he choke my mother and stomp my head with his feet as though he was killing a snake? Did I remind him of the devil? Mother tried to hold it together, but you missed some things and you're in pain. It happened one day, I was 15, noticing girls in the neighborhood thinking if I could get one to like me, just one to notice me, I was gonna be happy. But you know, my kind of sadness couldn't be kissed away. Growing up glued to telenovelas and dramatic soap operas with women lasting over rich men with overspread chests was our social classroom. You end up believing the bigger your muscles, the better your mind. Wait a minute, mind? There was no mind. We just wanted to have fun, get girls, be rich, unwind. But the rich guys died, leaving all their wealth behind. The girls, the ranch, their children became beggars. It was just so confusing. What was it about men? They seemed to be happy only for a short time. One day, daddy said, I don't come to you with my problems because you think I'm weak. And I sat there thinking, what do you what do you do when the heat is too much? Where do you take your pain? Who do you talk to? Many years later, now I see, he was taught to suppress. When you're angry, suppress. You're in pain, suppress. Don't know what to do, suppress. Suppress, suppress, don't express. Stay composed, speak few words, stagger home once in a while, carried by your friends. It all makes sense now. People don't get it. Suppression is delayed expression. It goes inward, it finds a way out. We grew afraid to be intimate because we are never sure what would happen if we say our truth. Yet the truth is, you don't genderize emotion. You don't seclude yourself from feeling. I'm telling these boys, intimacy doesn't have to be sexual. You've got to open up a little. Ask ourselves to what root are we holding each other accountable? There's nothing to lose, it's just fear. I'm telling these boys, the quiet champions who brave the darkest nights of shame, battling their traumas with the dreary feeling of reproach, abandonment, rejection on tight skin and teary eyes. This is for the boys who are told they're too emotional, too sensitive, suppressed by the dead society of wounded men they called fathers, all their lovers, all friends, whose broke code they didn't want to break. This is for the boys who know they have something within them they don't have a name for, a light no darkness has penetrated, a fire they have traveled with in the pockets of their precious hearts. Since 12, unseen, misunderstood, isolated, ignored, profiled, emotionally vandalized by a stray humanity. I'm telling these boys, the village tots and township lads, still innocent and raw in their hidden secret worlds, crafting their soft and grassy dreams in the chaos of horrific silence. Come out, come out. It's your time to give birth. Come out, boys, come out. Yeah, I wanna show you places that I won't let nobody else see. I'll let you go inside to the place 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Stay tuned to more episodes coming soon on your preferred podcast app. With so many of you here, please tune in to my YouTube page. There's a direct link in the description box below for more visual content. I'm really upping my game on the video, so I really need your support on there. And don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are at the Spread Pod across the board. Till next time. Bye. That's right if I